we have received the Spirit of God. And by that Spirit, we know, we know that God has given His Son. And we know that God has given us His Spirit. And we know that glory awaits us as we confidently, right now as children of God, await that coming of what is ours. is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona, reaching out with rock-solid hope in Rim Country. Romans 8, March 28, 2020. The tide between life and death can ebb drastically. I was reminded of that when I was watching a program recently about the Kalahari Desert. It's the second largest desert besides the Sahara on the continent of Africa in the southern portion of Africa. And there, in the Kalahari Desert, you do find life because there's a river, Okavango, which overflows once a year so that it covers the entire delta region and what was once a, a vast region of parched land becomes a green grassland and a marsh and a swamp and a river. And there you find all sorts of creatures, hippos, zebras, African buffalo, elephants, giraffes. They all spread out and enjoy the green, lush land when the river overflows. But there's more there. In that mix of life, you also find what is said to be the highest density of carnivores in all of Africa. So you'll find lions, leopards, hyenas, African crocodiles, birds of prey. And one of the reoccurring themes of this program that I was watching was in the Okavango Delta, it's a struggle, a constant struggle between life and death. And so much of it hinges on the flow of that river. You even see that the Creatures that were carnivores were not exempt from the struggle of life and death as you see leopard attacking crocodile, water buffalo threatening the life of a lion, and lions attacking leopards, giraffes dueling with giraffes to the death. And so much of this ebb and flow of life happens on the Okavango Delta based on the flow of the water. Is there anything in our life like that river? Something which so much of life and death depends? Well, this morning we see, as we look at once more a contrast in the letters of the Apostle Paul, that it's not some river or some source of wealth or anything else that our life and death depends on, but it depends on the Spirit of God. We'll see that this morning as we look once again in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 11. And we see a strong contrast between life and death by the working of the Spirit. To begin with, Paul lists a very comforting thought for us here in Romans chapter 8. He says that all believers have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is living within us to produce life. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who is dwelling in you. 
Jesus, once having suffered on behalf of every sinner and facing crucifixion and death, was made alive again and raised by the Father, by the working of the Spirit, he was brought back to a glorious and new life. That same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Spirit of God is working in you for new life. And we see two ways that the Spirit brings new life to all of God's people. First of all, note that it's not us working this new life. It's the Spirit who is living in you. It's the work of God. And note, this isn't some future thing. He doesn't say the Spirit who will come to you or you will receive. No, the Spirit who is dwelling in you. You have this Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and He is right now and forever your source of life. All of life and death depends on Him. Paul talks about the new life that we have as believers. So then, brothers, we do not owe it to the sinful flesh to live in harmony with it. For if you live in harmony with the sinful flesh, you're going to die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the actions of the body, you will live. Recall how we mentioned last week that by nature, apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, we are like that desert without water, dry, lifeless, unable to produce any good fruit or anything green or life. That's the way we are by nature. But the Spirit of God works life in us. He says, by the Spirit, you put to death the actions of the body. Notice the life that the Spirit works in us. is not simply, oh, I'm going to do a little bit less sin. Or I'm going to think a little bit more careful before I sin next time. No, it's put to death the actions of the body. The Holy Spirit working in us takes this attitude of the heart and it sees sin for what sin is. And it regards sin as something to put to death. That is that we take all of our sin, all of the things that cause guilt and shame and death, and we put it at the foot of the cross. We consider it dead, buried with Christ. Is there a sin that, that you struggle with? Maybe sometimes you find yourself putting your confidence not in the Lord and trusting in Him of all things, but maybe you find your confidence sometimes falls on wealth or other lesser things. Put to death that mistrust. And by the Spirit's working, you do with new life. Or maybe, maybe you find yourself sometimes worrying and you're anxious the Spirit puts that worry to death and brings us to confidence in Christ. Maybe we might find ourselves sometimes bursting out with a little bit more anger. We know a child of God ought to. But we see that anger now as something we hate. And we say, I no longer live by that. And we take it to the cross. Or maybe a, a child of God might be someone who struggles with letting a little bit more gossip out of their mouth than they should. By the Spirit's working, there's now life. And we put to death the misdeeds of the body. And we can say along with the Apostle Paul and every believer, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And by His Spirit, 
the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a new life. New life that our bodies, our mortal bodies are alive through his spirit who's dwelling in us. It's the same thing that Jesus says when he says, if you remain in me, you will produce fruit. And as we live this new life of faith, producing fruit by the working of the Spirit, Paul gives further comfort. He says, Indeed, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery so that you are afraid again, but you received a spirit of adoption. Once living by fear and by guilt, working with the sinful flesh, seeing only death and producing only death, we have been made alive to be confident in faith that we belong to God, that we are redeemed, and that we are adopted into his family. Fear is gone. Not only does the Spirit give us new life of fruits, but the Spirit gives us new life of freedom and freedom from fear as we are confident in faith. We are children of God. That spirit is the one by whom we also cry out, Abba, Father. That is, we can approach our Father in heaven with full confidence of faith. I am your child, Lord. And it's not just us speaking this. The spirit who lives within us also joins in our spirit in saying, this one is a child of God. This one trusts in you, Lord. This one belongs to your family. Now we see the, the new life, don't we, that the Spirit has brought us. The Spirit has brought us freedom from sin's control to live a new life, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from wondering if we belong to the family of God, freedom of faith and confidence to approach our Father. But as you look at believers they might not always appear to be those who have the Spirit living within. Maybe at times we might expect or hope that Paul might have said, if we have the Spirit of God living in us, then life will be grand. But it's not. Instead, we see believers facing terrible circumstances. We see those who, by their condition, are suffering greatly. Maybe you've seen a Christian on their deathbed, I have. They may not look like a child of God on the surface as they're struggling to breathe or as their life seems to be ebbing away and they're weak and helpless. They might look more like that dry, parched earth. And the devil wants us to not see the, the indwelling spirit or the strong contrast of who that person is, to see them as someone who's simply going to be turned back to dust with no hope. But the Apostle Paul reminds us that the new life the Spirit gives us is not just new life now, not just freedom from fear, not just the confidence of faith, but it's a future hope that carries us through every trial. Just like those animals waiting for the rains in the dry desert, we have an expectation that God is going to bring about something glorious and new life for us. He says here, the Spirit himself, who testifies with us as God's children, reminds us that we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It didn't seem so glorious when Christ came to suffer on behalf of sinners. 
and paid the redemption price and was laid in the tomb. But the glory that followed, by the Spirit's working, God raised him to life. We are heirs with Christ and of God and part of his family. And as heirs with Christ, we are heirs of something glorious to come. We have an expectation and future hope that is glorious, no matter what our present circumstance. In fact, Paul says, I conclude that our sufferings at the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. That is, no matter what you're suffering, Paul says, you can't even put it on the same scale of the greatness of the glory that will be revealed to us as children of God. Because the Spirit works new life, not just now in our hearts, and not just now through our bodies by his working, but he's going to work new life as he takes these bodies and brings us to the glorious inheritance that is ours with new and glorified bodies. In fact, creation is waiting with eager longing for the sons of God to be revealed. Can't you picture that? All aspects of this universe and all of creation waiting and longing and eager expectation for this glory that is to come. That's what is ours. Hold on to that vision of future hope and the new life. The devil might want us to not see it, to have our eyes blinded so that we don't see the indwelling of the Spirit. He might want us to see that Christians aren't very different from their surroundings. And that even if they do live a life with fruits of faith, that it won't amount to much. They'll just end up as dust and dirt and face despair and death. But we know by the Spirit's working And we have had our eyes opened by scriptures to see the glory of life that comes from the Spirit. We have received the Spirit of God. And by that Spirit, we know, we know that God has given His Son. And we know that God has given us His Spirit. And we know that glory awaits us as we confidently, right now as children of God, await that coming of what is ours. On the Okavango Delta, all the animals adjust their life, their habits, their migration, their building of dens, their territories in which they roam. They adjust everything that they do in their life depending on the coming waters when the rains come and the river flows. They do this because they know it's coming. They expect it. And you can imagine they eagerly expect it when they see that cloud start to form in the distance. And when they hear the water rushing and they see the rain covering the land and the green comes up. The program presented them literally jumping and leaping for joy at what they had been longing for and waiting for. That's how it is with you and I and all who by faith trust in Christ by the working of the Spirit. Our life now is adjusted, and no matter how dry and parched things might be or how difficult life might get, we know this suffering, this trial, this time of putting to death the deeds of the flesh, 
it's not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's a strong contrast, one of life and death, all by the working of the Spirit. Without the Spirit and apart from the Spirit, there is only death, slavery, fear, and everlasting shame. But by the Spirit's working, who is dwelling in you, there is life, confidence, freedom, and everlasting glory. Amen.